Hey everybody, welcome back to CyberStarters presented by ACI Learning. CyberStarters is the go-to show where we dive deep into the dynamic world of cybersecurity and entrepreneurship with the trailblazers shaping its future. I'm Gerald Ozier alongside Ryan Lervik, CEO of Nuvik. We connect with successful cyber startup leaders to help empower you, chat, to launch or level up your own cyber business. And today's show is the Own It episode with special guest Paul Imey, co-founder at Soteria. Now, startups require staff to actually own part of the business, right, in the form of equity, or to take on workflows and processes with a supportive leadership to own it and make it their own in their own light instead of having to check every single step. Now, Ryan, you obviously own a, uh, a business there at Nuvik. Have you seen the concept of owning it manifest in your experience? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's critical, right? Like, there's owning it as in you actually own equity, and there's owning it like they say, like, program managing it like own it like it's yours and don't let it fail right taking ownership of whatever problem you're solving for and it's really critical in small businesses because once you get started you never know you know what piece might come your way and if no one owns it right the opposite is true like if no one owns it it typically fails so yeah owning it's a it's a good topic i'm looking forward to digging in today yeah so so am i it's gonna be good and i agree 100 like owning it you you need to empower your people to feel like they can make you know, uh, decisions, innovate and, and implement things. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay because you, you own it, you own the, you own the success and you own the failure. Uh, and that's going to be really good. So we, we're going to get into it with Paul about that. So speaking of owning it right today, we're incredibly excited to have a guest who embodies the spirit of innovation and expertise in the field of cybersecurity. He's a personal friend of mine too, I might add. Uh, Paul Imey, he's a distinguished figure in the cybersecurity industry and a co-founder at Soteria, a company at the forefront of providing cutting-edge cybersecurity solutions to their clients. Paul's journey in this space is nothing short of remarkable. An alumnus of the U.S. Air Force, his career there was marked by a significant role in planning, coordinating, and executing offensive not, not rude, but, you know, on the offensive side, cyber operations in support of the NSA and U.S. Cyber Command. And after his Air Force service, he continued his contributions to national security as a defense contractor. And then he went like even harder core going to work for major institutions like the IRS and J.P. Morgan Chase. And at Soteria, where Paul is a co-founder, he's been instrumental in transforming the company from a promising startup Promising is the keyword. We're going to get into that to a thriving enterprise offering a wide spectrum of cyber services globally. Ladies and gentlemen, with a rich blend of experience in both governmental and private sector and a keen insight into the cybersecurity landscape, Paul Imey is here to share his valuable perspective on cyber entrepreneurship and owning it. That's the theme. Drop all your questions for Paul and Chad and be part of the show. So without further ado, let's go get Paul and dig into owning it. Hey, Paul, what's going on, man? Hey, Jerry. I, I love that. I, I want you to introduce me just every day to somebody. Yeah, no, no. Like, yeah, just like you wake up and that's your alarm clock is me just announcing who you are to your wife. Like, hey, like this is Paul. Do you know who I am? Look at what I've done. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Uh, real, real quick. I see a couple people in chat loving the Air Force uh, angle. Kayla Sturgeon in chat there. So uh, definitely a lot of people back in the day from the Air Force. It's it's great to see you, Paul. And uh, you know, obviously the intro talked quite a bit about your background and experience, but this is the Own It episode. And I'd love for you to share, just to kind of kick things off, what your experience was, because you're your co-founder slash owner of Ceteria, but I feel like your uh, your path into ownership really is uh, unusual. Uh, can you can you kind of share with us a little bit about how you came to be a co-founder and owning it at Ceteria? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I didn't start as uh, you know day one when somebody was signing the documents and like forming the company at Soteria. I wasn't there, right? I'm not somebody who um, you know came up with the idea or, or came up with the name or anything. I actually came into Soteria. Uh, it had been around for a few months. Uh, you know, the business existed. Uh, there was a uh, you know some some office space that um, you know with some IKEA tables and, and a ping pong table and things like that. But uh, the business wasn't necessarily thriving yet, right? There were there there had been one or two uh, pieces of work that had been contracted and, and done but uh, certainly wasn't profitable wasn't really cash flowing and uh, you know i came in at the very early stages of that uh, and and frankly i joke around not necessarily knowing what i was getting myself into like hey you know brand new company doing cyber stuff i know cyber things yeah like, let's let's go do this and, and get out there after it but uh, but we didn't have uh, you know a very mature you know formal business it was still you know, us trying to figure out our space in the world and, and trying to find our ideal clients. And uh, uh, I came in and was really fortunate to be uh, part of that, uh, working with a with a great team of, of folks to get it from, you know, not quite zero, but pretty close up into a company that's, uh, you know, self-sustaining and profitable. I love it. So so you come in and obviously um, as, as a co-founder, I assume that you make some type of equity stake, but how, how does your mental, um, how, how do you perceive the owning it where, where like, you know, basically it's already a company that's been created. Like you said, it wasn't profitable yet. H how do you mentally engage as, okay, I'm an owner of this. I'm going to, I'm going to drive decision-making because, because honestly, I feel like as the owner of, you know, simply cyber, like, you know, I, I do consult other people for perspective, but at the end of the day, I know it's my final decision, which direction we go. But if I, you know, other companies I've worked at, I feel like I contribute my perspective and my opinions, but it's not my decision ultimately, whether it's a CIO telling me what my CISO job is or, or, you know, other stakeholders, the owner of a company, how did you reconcile that, um, that, that point that like, you don't just have an opinion, you have authority. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I didn't really know how to reconcile that at, at first, and, and honestly, I didn't think about it a whole lot. I think the the whole owning it concept is something that I've had in in my mind as, and maybe not fleshed out or, or as uh, intentional as that throughout my career, but it's something that I always had done, right? Going back to my Air Force career, you go into a, a situation, there's a, there's a problem um, that needs to be solved. And I would always uh, just kind of dive into it and say, oh, here's something that's that's not working. Is anybody doing anything about this? What's the plan here? And and if if there's not a plan, I would just kind of jump into it and, and, and try to figure it out and and get it to where it needs to be, um, you know, find a way to to make this work, to make this successful. So I, I just came in with the same mindset there of like, okay, let's what what needs to happen here? There's there's tons of work, right? There's a whole business to build. And uh, you know, what what are the things that I can do to to contribute to the success and just go after it. And uh, I've always been a big kind of ask for forgiveness rather than permission in, in a lot of aspects. 
um, while at the same time asking for guidance from our team. Like, what are we trying to do here? What's what's the goal? How can I contribute to that? And I also just have a great, you know, uh, uh, great teammates, great mentor, and, and my uh, and my business partner Glenn Starkman, who's who's been amazing, and he's always been great at like just providing guidance to me and saying, okay, here's here's where we need to go, or here's where the problem is, and just kind of set me loose on it and, and go nuts. So, uh, but but I think it's important because a, a lot of folks will say, you know, like, oh, you you're willing to to kind of do all these things or or extend yourself or, or work work through this you know, this voraciously because, you know, you're a, a co-founder of the company or your co-owner. And I always tell people it's, it's really the opposite, right? I'm here in this position because I have that that mentality and, and that attitude. And I don't think if I didn't have that, you know, all the time uh, before, I don't think I would have walked into this or, or been successful at it, right? It's it's just kind of something I've always, I've always gone after and the way I've approached everything. And that's so important, <clears throat> I would imagine, especially in the early days, right? Where where you can identify where are the areas that I can plug in. And it, what's interesting about your case is like, you know, we mostly talk about organizations that are just getting started. And there's sort of this, you know, two or three founders, one, two or three, or maybe four founders, founder class that get started and everybody kind of takes a piece of it. But what's interesting in your case is you have this sort of drive to, to make it work and you come into an organization that some of the structure is already there. So you can immediately sort of fill the gaps or identify where the gaps are, where maybe the, the beginners, the, the first wave wasn't there. Was that sort of the case? So you could sort of see see those areas that need gap filling and grab them and, and run with it? Or was it slightly different than that? Yeah, it, I mean, a lot of all of the above, I could see some gaps, but sometimes gaps would just come up, right? So yeah. my, my background, as Jerry mentioned, I did a lot of offensive work um, in my background. So one of, as, as a young, uh, you know, cybersecurity company who's, um, you know, trying to sell advisory and consulting services. One of the, uh, I would say, easiest sort of on-ramps to that is offensive security, doing pen testing. Um, why is that easy? Because we know that it's a regulatory requirement that people have to do every year um, in some industries. It's something that uh, a lot of folks will recommend to rotate vendors from time to time, just as we do. So it's an easy place to for people to give you a shot at, at relatively low risk. So. I had done offensive security before. I'd never done pin testing commercially. Um, so let's go figure that out and yeah. let's go find some some organizations that need that. And now, okay, I know how to do offensive cyber operations. I don't know how to do that in a pin testing capacity. I don't know how to, you know, write a report. I never had to do that when I was doing offensive operations is, you know, write a report teaching people how to fix things. But I can figure this out, right? So uh, so let's okay, let's get after it. Let's just go do this. Let's take the things that we know. And, and apply those and, and try to fill in the gaps and just kind of work through it uh, with the team and, and then, you know, solicit feedback from people and, and get a little bit better every time. So there's all that to say, there was a bit of a roadmap, but also it was a lot of, oh, here's an opportunity. How can we, how can we take this on and, and, and make it work? And I would imagine that offensive mindset is also really helpful on the business side, right? Yeah. It's, helpful, it's helpful to go get business, but then on the business side, you look at it and say, hey, here's the matrix that exists so to speak, and here's where the holes are. Oh, if no one's owning these pieces, maybe I can jump in and do it. I would imagine that point of view would be really helpful in, you know, we like to say the unintuitive ways of, you know, building a business. Yeah, it, it helps you kind of see the gaps. Um, you know, one of the the blessings and the curse of, of being someone um, in this in this job is, is you kind of just look for all the things that are wrong and broken that need to be fixed, right? And it's, it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, 
to to take a cynical viewpoint on things because when you're when you're in this business my my job is to go find all the things that are wrong within a an organization's environment and then you kind of start applying that um that mindset to everything but you have to sort of change it and you know these aren't problems these are opportunities and these are things that we can we can do better and improve ourselves and, and taking that same mindset to um to our business and saying okay how can we like we did this thing this part didn't really go so smooth. How can we fix this and, and get a little bit better next time and, and make sure that it's a constantly improving process? So your background is extensive. And but, you know, at the end of the day, if I was to like classify you, Paul, you're a cyber operator. Right. And and a business owner. So I, I'm kind of curious, like as someone coming into Ceteria at the ground level and you have someone like Glenn Starkman, who you just mentioned, who has a wealth of business experience, but not, as far as I know, not much cyber operator experience. You guys definitely complement each other as business partners. But what I want to know is, how do you go about owning um, different facets of the business when you know your focus and energy and expertise is in the is in the basically the deliverable of services versus growing, owning, nurturing a business, take making decisions of do we hire now or do we outsource? Do we do we invest in marketing or do we not? Like all those kind of business decisions. How do you how do you in your experience, how do you own those processes and decisions? Or do you defer simply because uh your business partner has that skill set, just like you wouldn't expect him to come in and explain how to run like an IR engagement? Which would yeah. be hilarious, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun to uh, it'd be fun to uh, to put that to the test, just like yeah. it'd be fun for me to, to do the things that he does. But <laughs> no, I think it's uh it's funny the, the there's some things where we divide and conquer, right? We use that term a lot um, in our business, right? So there's some things where clearly this is my lane. I can I can attack it. I make sure that um, you know we're keeping him updated or the rest of our team now updated and and make sure that folks know what's going on. Um, but this is this is something that I can just, you know, attack on my own. I got this. I'll I'll grab the right people, the right resources, and run with it. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, the opposite is true. Uh, you know, him or somebody else on our team, you know, will will be able to run with it and, and attack those things. And we're very fortunate that we do have a a, a sort of Venn diagram with some, uh, I would say, pretty light overlap in terms of our our capabilities and skills um, that allow us to to get a lot of coverage between the two of us. But there are things that that we also just say, okay, these these things are going to be, you know, group discussions, and nobody's going to run with or or own this um, entirely on their own. Um, so it it depends. Uh, the other the other thing, and this maybe is a a segue into something else, but but it's also an exercise of as you um, you take you take ownership, right? You take I'm going to own this kind of things, but then you start seeing things like, man, I own this thing, but I am not great at it, and I don't like doing it, and I maybe shouldn't be the one who owns this thing but right now it's you know a small staff of six people 10 people or, or something like that how do we how do we fill this and find the right person to own it and that that really gets you to that that next level of of uh you know problem solving of, of trying to find those those skills that can help augment you which i think is uh probably a whole nother topic that, <laughs> that that we could dive down into yeah but it's worth exploring now like <clears throat> especially for those listening because there's a lot of folks are sitting like thinking how do i actually start a business right and you've got this unique perspective so let's let's dive into that just a little bit like how did you look at an already existing organization see you know where you create the venn diagrams like all right these are what we need and realize like these are the skills that we do need there does it start with a vision and then you actually like write it down and go through it like help help our listeners understand like 
how do you do that? Or, or the other side of that is like, is it intuitive, right? And you just naturally see it the same way and don't need to write anything down and can go and you know where the vector is. Those are two different approaches to, yeah. to handling that sometimes. I'm very much a, and maybe to people's frustration or, or detriment even sometimes is uh, I'm very much an intuitive type of person. And I just, I'll work my way through things and kind of feel them as like, okay, now here's something else that, um, that we need to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but in those early days, you, when you come in to an organization, I think it's really important to just come in and, and ask questions and try to learn. Um, so there's, there is a, there is a wrong way to come in and establish ownership, right? You don't come in on day one into a, into an organization that exists and say, I'm just going to, I'm going to do this and we're going to, I'm going to take it and run with it. And I'll just let you guys know how it goes. Um, that's not going to mm -hmm. uh, appreciate yourself into, <laughs> into, into anybody's um, team, right? People don't like to, uh, to see that. So you come in and there was, there was a long period of just trying to understand what was going on, you know, what we're doing, what's working, what's not working. And, and, um, you know, what does the day-to-day -day look like? How can I help? Um, you know, asking that a lot of times to a lot of different people and, and trying to understand things uh, because you can't, you can't just jump in and start making recommendations or start taking action that could potentially be disruptive to, uh, to the team. But eventually, you know, you're, you see these gaps or people tell you like, here, we could really use some help, you know, putting together an SOP for how we're going to do a, a penetration test. Right. I'll use that yeah. as an example. How are we going to go do a pen test? Um, oh, that's great. I can I can start kind of like, okay, I, I got that. And let me let me start working on it and, and owning it and I'll I'll sort this out and then I'm gonna solicit feedback from others and things like that. So that's another big thing to me is owning it doesn't mean you do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but it means you yeah. just make sure that it gets done and, and gets done as well as, as you can with the resources you have. But then then you can kind of expand out to it. Um, um but I think that's Going back to your question, I think that's that's it for me is is a bit intuitive asking questions and just kind of feeling like there seems like an opportunity here to, to do this better or, um, you know, to, to offer something here that we're not doing right now. And I love that. Fill in those gaps. Yeah, 100 percent. Before Jerry gets to the next question, I think for the listeners, I'll tell you that really resonates with me because like one of the biggest pieces of advice I ever got when I was first starting out, I mean, like first real professional job, the general manager of that organization told me, he said, your first three months, don't make any decisions. Yep. I said, just pay attention to what the organizations are already doing. See where the gaps are, start building a plan, start socializing it, and then make decisions. Now that was for a very large organization, but what you're suggesting is like, a lot of people come in with this idea, they, they understand the problem, they're ready to solve it. And maybe they do, and maybe they don't, right? And, and, and for, for those listening, like what I love about what you've teased out there is, like just assess, right? Do some recon, see what's actually really going on. See if you understand the problem well enough and then start putting a plan in place to execute. Because if you get it wrong, it puts you in this, you know, the downside of this is it puts you in this place of like, well, you know, okay, you seem to know it all and seem to have it and you, you start losing support really quickly and exacerbating the problem you're probably trying to solve for. So I, I love that. Thanks for pulling that out. That was a good point. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that. Sorry, Jerry, but just like right, one, one thing that, <laughs> One thing that we've we've said to people as we're bringing them on, right, is, uh, and this is fictional and, and entirely made up, but um, I'll use Mandiant as an example because Mandiant's one of the biggest and, and most well-respected uh, cybersecurity firms in the world, right? So Next let's say we go and, and hire somebody from Mandiant. We're not going to go in and and you know bring in somebody from from this company, put them in in our company, and say, okay, just do whatever you did there and here, right? Because we're not them. We don't 
you know, the things that work there aren't going to work here. There's things about us that that really work well, that resonate well with our clients, that resonate well with our people, that um, that make us who we are. So we want to bring in people who have these expertise um, from from different places and have strong opinions and have that ownership mentality, but then have them come and learn how we're doing it. And and the successful person takes uh, takes the time to, as you said, Ryan, like learn and understand um, what's going on and, and what makes this place tick and what makes this place special. Take the best of that. Take the best of you know all their other experiences, whether it's you know Mandian or anywhere else that. Uh, that they've been in their careers and then meld them together to create like a, a best of both worlds type of scenario that's going to work for for your team your customers your people and i think that's that's really important because some of the i think one of the worst things you can do is just come in and just try to slap somebody else's like successful process on it because you know using that example we're not a you know multi-billion dollar organization i'm sorry to say um so we don't have the resources to do things exactly like they do and maybe even if we did it wouldn't be the best for us or it's not what our clients want right it's not what they've grown to expect from us. So I think, yeah, what you said, Ryan, is, is exactly right. Come in, observe, don't make any decisions, learn, absorb, and then and then start ideating, and then make suggestions, right? And and run them by people. Hey, I've got this idea. Do you think this would work here? And maybe they're going to say, yeah, that's amazing. Or maybe they're going to say, no, it's, that's not going to work here because A, B, and C, but then that's more, you know, education for you and, and, and more opportunity to learn what's going to work and why. It, oh. it sounds. I mean, you guys are Air Force people, uh, Paul and uh, Kayla Sturgeon and others. It sounds like you guys are all tiptoeing around OODA loops, uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Isn't that yeah. an Air Force thing? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, uh, that, it does come back to it. I, I haven't thought about it in that um, in that specific aspect. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. Right? Observe, orientate. Observe, orient, add, yep. and act. Yep. yep, 100%. So execute an OODA loop uh, before you kind of like run head head first into stuff. But it, but it does bring up an interesting uh, question that I have. And, and shout out to everybody in chat. I see your questions coming in. I am flagging them. We're going to um, we're going to get to them in the second half of the show. So, um, OK, so OODA loop and you make them decisions and go. I, I would love for you to talk about you're owning it. You're absolutely um, making decisions and moving forward. How do you, uh, Paul, approach or recommend people in chat approach when you own something and it's not working out the right way or it's square peg round hole, you're throwing money at it, it's not getting the return it's supposed to. At some point, you have to either pivot or or just stop it altogether instead of running headfirst into the wall. But when you own it, there is a sense of pride. There is a sense of you know, not wanting to own failure. How do you how do you uh, reconcile owning it when owning whatever it is isn't working out very well for you? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. You can't tie your own success to the projects you're working on or, or the the segments you're working on, right? And I think the way that I've approached that is just trying to to look at it in terms of how I value my time, <clears throat> right? So I own this thing and I'm very proud of it, and it's beautiful and uh, it's amazing. But I'm the only one who thinks so and nobody's buying this thing or uh, it's not working for some reason or it's it's creating frustration or uh, you know whatever the results may be uh, i think the way that i've i've tried to separate myself from that um uh, from that sort of trap of um god i can't i can't remember the term but uh, you know from that trap of of just loving it because it's mine is saying okay is this the best use of my time like is this uh, I'm going to spend, you know, some finite number of hours per week, per month, you know, doing something. This is not producing results. Could I have a a better um, outcome if I like pivoted 
something else and let's scrap this even though i love it or maybe we revisit it so that that's how i, I separate it but the other thing i would say is um those decisions shouldn't be made um in in a vacuum because the opposite can be true sometimes too um there's there's absolutely been cases you know in the history of our business where i've i've looked at things and said like i don't think this is working i don't think it's productive and a great use of time and other people have said no 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 like we really like this it's great like let's keep doing it we find it extremely valuable you know we want more of it and and so i think it's important to get that outside perspective too because it's true that you can fall in love with your own you know products or your own things that you're doing but you can also um again sometimes i can be a, a fairly cynical person in terms of you know finding the the flaws and everything and it's easy to see nothing but the flaws and not you know see the value that you're creating for other people and, and how much they you know appreciate enjoy or, or you know respect something so i think it's it's got to be a collaborative process when you make those big decisions and it goes back to you know owning something doesn't mean that you're you know standing there alone on a hill um you know kind of fighting this battle it's it's you're in charge of it and you're you're taking um you're, you're running point on it but when you make these type of significant decisions you have to um you know make sure you're involving other people other stakeholders people who are going to be affected by those decisions and get their perspective I love it. Uh, Ryan, what about you as far as owning, I, I say a failure, but that might be too strong a word, owning something that's just not working out the way you intended and, 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 you know, kind of putting your pride aside perhaps. Oh yeah. It happens all the time. <laughs> right. But the, the key here, I think is sometimes the fundamentals, uh, paying attention to the fundamentals sometimes helps. Right. And, and this might be, you know, the classic program management and oversight. Right. What I mean by that is like sometimes, especially when I'm in that space, I sit back and like, wow, this is not working the way I had expected to. And what's worked for me in the past is like, am I solving the right problem or am I solving some idea that I have of the problem? Right. And you can usually tell by reactions of people right, <laughs> right off the bat. You're like, ooh, maybe maybe I don't really understand the problem as well as I, I think I do. So to take a step back, like, what's the real problem? Like in, in PM parlance, that's scope. Right. And then the other side is like, do I have to do this now? Like the mm -hmm. third piece is a second piece, like time. Like, is this have to happen now? And then the last one is, do I have enough resources? Like that's sort of the classic pyramid for program management, right? And I find like when I'm heading directly into a problem that isn't the, the either solution isn't applicable or I'm just not getting the reaction from the people or it's just not working, whatever it is we're doing. It's like maybe one of those three things are out of scope, right? Like maybe you don't have the resources to do it. Maybe it's a really good idea, a really good solution, but like you're the only one driving it right and you need more resources right yeah i see both of you shaking your head and like this could be it maybe you just don't have enough people right or maybe you don't understand the problem off but the real big thing uh to me for owning failure is like one to be able to recognize it right we all have to be somewhat self-reflective as you're going through sort of life in general <laughs> right mm -hmm. but also as you're you know running a business where you're you know you're responsible for people is having a board of like advisors or like this oversight piece like that's the number two so that you've got a trusted team to be like hey this might not be as good of an idea as you think it is right to sort of tease that forward so i mean you know those are two pieces to try to keep you you know away from owning failure but the, i mean i think the bottom line is what like paul teased out is like you got to own it at the end of the day right because success has a thousand mothers and fathers right failure has one <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah try not to be the one, right? Or try not to let it fail. And if it does, look, you got to own it. If it's yours, yeah, don't push the blame on somebody else. Like you got to be that person that owns it. But 
to avoid yeah. it, you know, th those might be two areas to to try to avoid it from. Yeah. Yeah. So, sometimes failure can just be a, a temporary condition as well, right? So mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. When when we started, I was I was really good at offensive security, but also had a pretty good experience with forensics and, and kind of counter intel type of stuff um, based on my background. And uh, when we started, we we started talking about doing incident response work, right? And you know, we we talked to a bunch of people about this, um, but but one of the things that we learned, and I think fairly quickly, is like nobody in their right mind is going to call some brand new firm that they've never heard of when they're having the worst day of their professional career, right? They're not going <laughs> they're not going to call this no name company for incident response when their business has been compromised, right? So yeah, we're in a risky yeah. situation. Let's make it even more risky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go wrong, like right. So these guys started six months ago. They're probably great, um, and uh, so. So that's that's a I think a, a good example in, in our history where we said okay this isn't this isn't a good idea right now. We pressed pause on it and we just stopped you know talking about people. We still had those capabilities and occasionally we would get calls from people who knew us and and you know would bring us in. But we had to to build up a little bit more of a brand um, uh, you know among our customers. And then uh, a few years later we went back and revisited and started making that part of our pitch um, to our customers and started selling incident response retainers and, and um, going out and being more active in that. And it was way more successful, not because we were necessarily better at incident response, but we just had a name that people had heard of before, right? We weren't, um, you know, we weren't world famous. We weren't like the premier cybersecurity firm in the world, but people had worked with us. They, they had heard of our name. They knew people who had worked with us before and heard great feedback. And now, now this thing, you know, is a better idea um, just by virtue of, of folks understanding that there were a business that exists and has done good work. So I think it's, you know, there's there's failure and sometimes it's, it's just a, a bad time, uh, you know, for what you're trying to do and you just need to like put it on pause and prioritize other efforts that can um, help you drive towards your goals more more quickly. Um, so there's different, you know, uh, types of failure, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and it's really delicate, right? Just building that brand and that the expectation of people once they hear about you is a really delicate thing. And it could be destroyed in an instant. So uh, yeah, I love the way you're putting this together because the reality is like if, if you don't recognize failure quickly and try to course correct, but hopefully before a client or something you know impactful hits your business, it could it could the, the impact of that could be much bigger than just that one failure or decision, right? Yep. Especially if you try to solve a problem that doesn't need to be solved, and all of a sudden, you know, you've tanked the organization, right? <laughs> Like that, that can happen. We've seen that happen in this space. And, and, and of course, all across all businesses, right? You read about it in the news sometimes too. So that's a really interesting element of like own it and own own any potential failure fast so that you have a, a resources to course correct quickly. I love that. That's right. Yeah. Wow. All right. So uh, hold on, everybody. We see all your questions coming in. This conversation is phenomenal and I'm loving it. When we get back from the break, Paul's going to start taking questions from chat. So we've got a bunch flagged, but if there's anything you want to follow up on, it looks like there might even be a follow up after the commercial. So we'll see about that. But let's get a quick word from ACI Learning, the exclusive sponsor of CyberStarters. You chose a career in cybersecurity and you follow this podcast because you're passionate about being at the top of your field. But let's face it, not all training is created equal. Don't settle for boring training that leaves you uninspired. You deserve the best to support your dreams. 
At ACI Learning, our instructors are legends in the field. Our studios are state-of-the-art. We're always on so that you can be too. We're equipped to pivot and cover every emerging trend in cybersecurity. Because in this fast-paced industry, you need training that keeps up. But it's not just about the expertise. Our on-demand video training is designed to be actually fun to watch. We believe learning should be exciting, not a chore. We offer training in every major vendor and certification. ACI Learning's on it, so you can be too. And don't just take our word for it. See what others are saying on Trustpilot. Real reviews from real professionals who have experienced our offerings firsthand. Choose ACI Learning, because support for your cybersecurity career deserves nothing but the best. All right, thank you very much. We're being joined by Paul Imey, co-founder of Ceteria, talking about cybersecurity entrepreneurship, but really focusing on owning it. That is the story for today. Uh, Ryan, as we went to break, we were talking about uh, you know failing fast and, and quick. Uh, did you have a follow-up on that? Uh, no, I think we covered it, but I'm happy to keep talking about it. If, you, if No, 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 it's good. <laughs> I, I do want to get to the questions. I just wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity uh, to, uh, to, to get those questions or get that valuable commentary delivered to everybody. No, so, I, think, I think wading through logs had a good post there about extreme ownership, uh, which I think was a good one. See what, you know, looking forward to reading that one. So good, good post there. Yeah, I'll check that out. And what's yeah. up, Wade? I, I'm a big fan of Wade. Uh, good, good guy. So, uh, Paul, um, you ready? Ben's got a question for you. I love this one. How do you handle owning it when you're exhausted? You ever been tired, bud? No, <laughs> yeah. no, never. Been tired. I, I think, uh, you know, that's to me where it's easier to own something when you have a passion for, for what you're owning. So, um, I would not be uh, successful if I were working at, uh, you know, an auto mechanic shop, right? I like to tinker with with mechanical things, but I, I would not be able to own and, and have the passion and drive um, that I do for cybersecurity for, for some other field. Um, so I think part of it is is finding the um, finding the thing that you're passionate about and that, that energizes you by working on it, right? I get energized by doing this stuff. It's not a drain on me. It doesn't, um, it doesn't make me more tired by doing it. I get fired up because I'm getting closer to solving the problem and, and working through it. Um, and, and that's not, you know, that's not to say that you don't get tired, right? Um, mm -hmm. Exhaustion does happen and you do have to know your limits and you do have to give yourself a break and make sure that you find balance in your life. I've got an amazing wife. I've got, you know, two kids that um, I make sure that, that I, I spend a lot of time with and, and make sure that I'm not just in here and on the computer all the time, you know, working on the business and, and spending time with them. And I think that that type of thing gives um, a lot of balance, but uh, really I, I do think the most important thing is if, if, if what you're doing does not energize you or does not um, uh, make you feel more excited and, and uh, amped up about what you're doing, then maybe you're not owning the right thing. Mm. Yeah. One quick comment. Maria Katina Torres mentioned something great about it. It makes a difference about the people you're working with. Like if they understand yeah. and can commit and then show you the grace in the process, like you can, you get the sense of like, as that's happening, you're fatigued, you're not, you know, other people fill in. And it's, it's really important about who you surround yourself with. So I thought that was a good call out too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be able to do this by myself, right? Like having having a good team uh, makes it one, just more fun in general, right? Mm -hmm. as, as in life, but also, you know, having that support so it doesn't have to just be you all the time. And you can, um, you can focus on the things that do get you fired up. And you know, one of the examples I've used before is uh, a, an extremely necessary, um, but to me, awfully like boring part of business is the actual business part, right? Sending okay. and, and 
invoices and you know paying bills and and you know balancing all the books and things like that that's something that that i did in um in the early days of sotary and i'm really glad that i don't have to do it now <laughs> i'm not great at it and it did not give me energy and i did not like it and it's the worst thing for me to do when you know when i am feeling exhausted because it's not going to to get me fired up so uh, i think that's a big part of it too is focusing on the things that that do get you fired up and then you know at some point you can't do this on day one usually but but finding people that that do get excited about the things that you don't get excited by that way you you kind of maintain that balance or as kayla surgeon air force person uh yes. says you can use rippets and red bulls i guess so <laughs> if you're Hard getting a little myself but yeah <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> So uh, another question coming in. I love this one from Itzel Bennett. Uh, basically, wait, hold on. That's not the question I want. Itzel's got two questions. Um, she basically owns a business. She wants to start consulting in cyber. Um, and I, I love for youth and elderly who are a totally vulnerable population. Where do I begin the process? So she wants to own the process of launching this thing, but she needs a little guidance on what, 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 what does that process look like, Paul? For someone who's kind of starting out, I mean, you've gone through it already. What would you recommend to Itzel? Yeah, I would. I think it's it's generally easier to um, to find a uh, an overlapping client potentially than it is to to kind of run two separate businesses. So if if I were you, and I know nothing about you know the notary business other than like I have to use them sometimes when I get things signed for a bank. Um, so I may be off base here, but but I would think about it in terms of you've got um, you've got you know, an existing business that you're um, that you're running and trying to work some of the things that you would like to do into some of those conversations um, into your existing business and your existing clients. And this is the same thing, same thing that we do even within the, uh, um, you know, within the cybersecurity space, right? We've got, uh, you know, going back to our, our example earlier of incident response versus more proactive um, offensive security services. So when we made that pivot, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't start separately and, and start you know, pitching the incident response services, but the people who we already doing business with, we say, hey, also we're adding this new, you know, capability or, or we're going to start getting into the incident response space. Is this something you're interested in? Is this something you would want to talk about? Do you have an IR provider? You know, could we could we compete for that business? So I think just off the cuff, that's how I would I would think about it is okay, you've already you've got a business, you've got some clients. Are there a subset of clients within there that could be, you know, potentially customers of this unrelated offering. And then you could kind of pivot that way. And if you're successful at it, maybe you can sort of into making that the full-time business, right? Yeah. I, I think that's a wonderful idea, especially like you said before, I mean, you, you're you establishing trust and, uh, you know, social proof uh, by doing the, the notary business that you're already doing. And you're right there having those conversations. Like, you know, if you think about notary, I mean, essentially that's integrity, right? It's it, If we're going to boil it down to the CIA triad and take it back to day one, uh, you are doing integrity. So there is a natural uh, pivot there. Yes. Um, so I got a question for you. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, ch change the verbiage here so we can see Ryan's beautiful face. <laughs> but, uh, as you were out there soliciting services or soliciting uh, potential clients and talking about businesses, Paul, is is there is there too small a business? Is there a fish not worth throwing a line in the water for? And how do you how do you deal with that? You know, maybe early on versus later on. Yeah, I, I, well, I love this question. So if you go to Soteria's website, the first thing you'll see is it says security for everyone, and that's a big part of of what we believe as a business is we want to be able to to serve those um, 
small to medium businesses that are otherwise priced out of, of cybersecurity services. And there's a whole soapbox rant I could go on to here, but just suffice to say there, there are vendors out there, especially product vendors who will not serve you know, organizations that are less than X number of endpoints, right? I want to go buy an EDR. Well, sorry, you have to buy 50 endpoints. And if you're, um, you know, if you're five people, then you have to, you know, pay for 50 or, or just not get our product. So I think that it is a, uh, it's a very underserved market. Uh, the, the, the part that you have to deal with and that is, is, um, and the reason it's underserved, there is a, a legitimate business reason for that is because the cost of of getting that new client and then working with them um, is pretty expensive, right? So if you spend, uh, let's say, five hours on on um, on each client in order to get them in the door between, you know, your sales process and signing contracts and so on and so forth, <clears throat> and then you get a $200 contract out of them, then you're not really making very much money um, because now you still got to do the work for that $200. So um, what we've done and what I would, I would, uh, I would encourage people who want to do that is to to build, you know, processes that are um, uh, effective but very scalable that scale down, right? And also find partners who are already working with um, with these types of businesses. So, um, for an example, we do a lot of partnerships with IT MSPs who um, who support some of these smaller businesses. They've already got the relationships, so uh, we'll we'll establish partnerships and say, hey, if you've got any clients who could use cybersecurity services, here's some things that. Uh, generally people in that client base need and you know we can do it for this price and then you can you know if you find somebody that needs it you just come put them in touch with us and and we'll take care of them and you know we'll do that partnership and and that allows um that allows you to not have to spend all that time and, and resources and money on that sales process and allows you to kind of scale down to them so that's one that's one approach i think there's probably a, a lot of ways to do it but i think that we as a as an industry should really be thinking more about that because it's uh, th there's a lot of organizations that are just out there and, and defenseless, um, so to speak, uh, to, you know, both ransomware, business email compromise types mm -hmm. of scams. I've seen, you know, several go under and um, over the years because they got hit with a cyber attack that they just couldn't recover from. So I think it's, I, I would, I would encourage anyone to try um, to find ways and, and processes to, to serve those businesses because they need it more than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important, right? Because small businesses, later become big businesses, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if the trajectory sticks, right? And so serving them at small, you can you have this ability to sort of teach what fundamentals, good fundamentals may look like early on that can evade, you know, classes of attacks later. Uh, so I love that. The opposite side of her question is really interesting. It's like, are some too small to serve? And, and Paul, you teased it out nicely, which the economics may not be there. So. One of the things that might be applicable here is, uh, let's just call it the, the BATNA, right? The best uh, alternative to a negotiated agreement, right? This is usually on the personal side when you're in negotiations, but there is a sense of like serving a particular client may be too costly, right? Like either then for, for, for a host of reasons, right? They may not be ready. They may not actually have the budgetary decisions that they say they have or whatever reasons. And so one way to sort of draw that line, right, is to say like at what point is it better to do x instead of this right and x could be anything research and development or business development or another project or whatever and i think going into client work with that sort of point of view is really helpful because you know when that line gets crossed and then you can say look this person either doesn't have the money but really needs the help and we're just going to do it because it's the right thing to do or it, the, the time in trying to figure out what the problem is 
is so hard that it's like we'd rather them just come back to us when 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 we can get a better grip of the problem. Whatever that reason is, you know where that line is, and that's that's really uh, there is a you know I wouldn't say too small of a business to to serve, but uh, economically too complicated, right? And that could come in different ways. So that's that's the that's the other side of trying to trying to do it all, right? And, and, and keeping those two in mind sometimes keeps you from trying to do everything. <laughs> you got to have a line somewhere, and and sometimes unfortunately it comes down to resources, you know, cash and. Is one of them. And there's there's been times too where it's like, okay, this is this organization is frankly too small to serve. If if we go through the process, they're going to need about an hour of my time, uh, max, uh, or an hour of my team's time, max. And like the process of executing a contract and doing mm -hmm. all that is not worth that that one hour of time. Uh, but hey, you're I'm already on the phone. You reached out to us, and like, can I just walk you through what you should be thinking about and what you should be doing? I'm not going to make any money out of this, but um, and if you're asking from a business perspective, this this is not very helpful at all to you. So I'm, I apologize, but but that is something that 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 we've done. You know, that's not necessarily good or bad or helpful to our business. It's more about, um, yeah, I can't I can't help you from a business perspective, but I can help you because I know what you need to do, and I'm happy to tell you. Right, I'm not going to paywall my my advice. So let me just walk you through what you should spend the next couple of days doing. Here's some links. Here's some resources to look out. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you have any any other questions, and I'm happy to to kind of chat with you. Um, but but we can't serve you as a business because it just doesn't make sense, and I wouldn't want to send you the bill that that would be incurred by um, bringing on our services. So I think there's an in between there as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's almost like you're in the business. You're in the business, right? So you don't need a contract to be helpful to people. All right. So yeah. I love that analogy because like you get to a certain point where you realize like really all you need is just a little advice on like hey do, you know you know, set up an architecture, set up logging, right? Have somebody look at it and then push this out to your cloud infrastructure or whatever. Now I've just helped like, go do that. And then later on, come back to us. And now you've helped solve the problem. You don't need a contract. You're already on the phone and you can move on. So there's a way to actually be of high value service without actually, you know, trying to make that business decision of do I need to draft up a, a contract or whatnot. So that's, I love that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'd, I'd argue you know, again, this is more of the business side of stuff, but that's effectively a loss leader. Like you're doing, you're doing good work and you're being righteous in, in helping, but at the same time, you're leaving a really, that's like a spoonful of sugar in that person's mouth. Like next time they think about cybersecurity, which is probably not their core business function, right? So next time they think about cybersecurity, that sweet, sweet honey that you stuck in their mouth is the first thing they're going to think of. Now, I'm not saying that Paul's helping these people in order to hopefully land a whale down the road but these things do happen in it and i mean it, it took 15 minutes 20 a 20 minute phone call that you would have you know you you would have been driving and and had the phone call anyways right so you know why not why not help and develop you know you're part of the sales team now right uh paul so i mean that's kind of yeah. sales and marketing. <laughs> yeah. that's right always be selling yeah. So uh, Zvex Players got a great question. Again, I'll, I'll rephrase this a little bit, but uh, the show we're talking about today is owning it, right? And we've talked about own a process and drive it, make decisions. You know, you know, if it fails, fix it, right? Well, what happens when you own too many things, right? Like you own all the things, Paul, and you're either suffering burnout or you, you don't have enough time to commit to each thing that you're owning to be successful. How do you handle owning all the things? Yeah, I think, you know, at, at some point it's a necessity, right? When you're getting started, you just have to own everything and um, then you can grow and, and add to your team. Uh, so I think 
again, in the beginning, how do you handle wearing multiple hats? It's just a reality. And, and if you're, you just have to, to have the passion for what you're doing and not every piece of what you're doing, but, but have that vision and have the passion for where you want to go. And that's, that's what helps you be motivated. But then once you get to that point, how do you hire people? That That's an interesting thing because there's a, you know, how do you hire somebody in HR when you don't know anything about HR, right? How do you hire an accountant or a controller when you know nothing about accounting or, or being a controller? So there's there's a couple of things that um, that we use in, in that space. And, and to take a step back, the things that we, you know, prioritize hiring are the things that we need help with, right? So if, if we've got too much work to, um, uh, you know, to be able to deliver and we need another consultant or something like that, that's a pretty easy um, easy choice because I know how to evaluate somebody's cybersecurity skills and determine whether or not they're going to be a good fit. Um, but then at some point it's, okay, I'm spending way too much of my time sending invoices or I'm spending too much of my time, you know, interviewing and screening people. We need some help with this. And and the approach that we took is to, uh, you know, first off, uh, hire for culture, right? Which is kind of a cliche type of thing, but but I think it's really important, especially in, in um in areas where you don't really know what you're hiring, right? How do I evaluate an accountant? I don't have an accounting degree. Well, I know that this person is somebody that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can find somebody hopefully in your network that can, you can just talk to and say, Hey, can you, can you come join an interview with me? And, and, you know, this, this guy or girl and, and like just kind of sanity check that what they're saying is not complete um, snake oil. Right. Cause I, I wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you can you can know that this is a person that you want to to spend a lot of time with because you're going to especially in the early days of business you're going to spend more time with with these people than potentially your family um, at, at points um, and then finding someone who can help you evaluate their their skills and and then um, and then bringing them in and constantly evaluating them um, you know for that that culture fit like is this person still aligned with our values right are they gonna are they going to talk to customers the way that I want them to talk to customers and that, that matches our, um, you know, our approach to things, right? If, if a customer calls in with a problem that isn't going to get us paid, are they going to, are they going to spend the 15 minutes on the phone trying to help them out? Like I would, mm -hmm. or are they going to say like, sorry, you know, not paying thing up because that's not going to work here. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there's these, there's these other, uh, again, these cultural type of elements that you can say, like, this is the type of person I need. Now let's go and, and make sure that they've got, you know, the skills to be able to fill in these types of things. And that's how we think about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, again, looking at everything you're doing and either where you need help because you just need more capacity or, um, you know, once you get to the point, like, here are the things that I just don't want to do anymore. They don't, they don't uh, generate energy for me. They don't get me excited. Mm -hmm. So let me hire for that. That way, maybe I'm still going to be very busy, but I'll be busy about things that I love doing. And, um, and that makes it easier. And, and, you know, for us, I think a lot of that was was things like um, some of those business support functions that frankly, I'm not very good at and our team wasn't very good at and we needed some more expertise, but also people who get fired up about accounting. And and now we've got that and it makes us better as a business. Mm -hmm. And one of the things our, our friend, Lee Salt from Sleuth Git Labs loves to say, Paul, we talked about this earlier, ruthless prioritization, all right? In the beginning, you just keep looking at your prioritization list and be like, am I working on the right things relative to what things I could be working on? It is not easy to do, right? We all fall victim of like, you know, either the rabbit hole or working on things we'd like to do versus the things we want to do. And uh, Lee just always puts it out to like ruthless prioritization. He says it in a way that just like cuts through the teeth. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> 
So, I love it. So, yeah. Paul, uh, you had mentioned always, always be closing or always do sales, or you mentioned something earlier, and it's it's very, very true when, um, especially at a startup. But like you, you have to own sales. Like, there's no way that you're like, oh, that's somebody else's job. Like, you know, I'm good here. Uh, ben wants to know relative to to sales and in uh, marketing. You know, how much how much in your experience is marketing through networking versus cold calls and ad campaigns and SEO and all the, all the things that you just throw money at. Yeah. I'll say that uh, I wouldn't claim that we're the the best marketing and sales organization in the world. Um, so I'll, I'll caveat it with that. Uh, but most of our business has grown through networking um, through uh, people that, um, that we've worked with and, and our past you know careers and things like that is, is how we got a lot of them. Uh, some doing events and networking locally uh, to, to try to get to know folks, but over time, you know, that's how we got the, the first handful of, of customers. But for us, the, the biggest driver of, of our growth has been through um, referrals and recommendations and, and things like that. And it, and it goes back to, um, I think, I, I attribute a lot of it to going back to owning it, right? So when we go and, and do an engagement with a, with an organization, with a client, um, we we work it through, we, we treat them how we would want to be treated and so on and so forth. But we follow up and we ask like, hey, how'd that go? Did you know, could we have done this better? Where can we improve? And, and we don't just, you know, rest on our laurels and, and pat ourselves on the back and say that was an amazing engagement. We, you know, build it and then and then congratulate ourselves. We ask for that feedback. We ask how we could have done better. And then we follow up with folks to to make sure that they know like, hey, you gave us this advice, thought it was great advice. Here's what we've done to, to get better like next time. And, you know, let us know if you have any more thoughts and um, or if there's anything else that we can do for you. And I, I think um, that, Partially, that's that's something that's led to a lot of referrals and a lot of um, like introductions from our clients. And I think uh, the the overwhelming majority of our business has been through referrals, through repeat customers, and, and those types of things. And you know, we do a small thing, and then um, and then uh, you know, larger and larger engagement engagements over time. Um, so we haven't done any marketing. We're starting to do that and explore. But I, I would not feel. Uh, uh, qualified to give any sort of advice to anyone about uh, any of that because it's not an area of expertise and it's something that we're still um, kind of exploring and learning about. Yeah, but I, I do love it though because I mean, there's two ways to build business, right? And you typically see like VC-backed money uh, ventures going hard into marketing because it's it's less about being the best product in the market and more about having the name that people see and hear and think of when they think of the product, right? So there's two wildly different paths to go. I personally am all about uh, the style that Soteria has used um, because it's it's rooted in like doing good work and having a good uh, reputation because of the quality that you deliver. So I, I love it. And I think in the long run, it actually is uh, a better plan uh, for growth and opportunity and all that. Uh, Paul, before we let you go, uh, talking to Paul Imey from Soteria, uh, any, are you got any speaking engagements coming up? I've dropped a link in chat to Soteria, but uh, where can people get some some more Paul? I actually don't have any lined up right now, um, unfortunately. That's something that I'm, I'm looking to do a bit more of, but I've been doing a lot of webinars lately with the, the team at Lima Charlie, who we, we partner closely with. So you can uh, you can find some content on there. Um, if you go to um, Soteria's LinkedIn page, uh, you'll find some snippets of those videos and, and so on and so forth. But um, that's something, you know, TBD. I've got a couple of CFPs out there that I haven't uh, haven't heard back from, but uh, I'll be out there and, and around. But otherwise, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I try to be very responsive there and, and answer any any messages that aren't, you know, spam uh, <laughs> that come in through uh, through the LinkedIn channels. 
Oh, you, you don't you don't want me to pass your certification exam? Five stars? <laughs> no, 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 that don't need your talent search services, and I don't need you to uh, to SEO my website. I love it. Much. I love it. Well, Paul, thank you so very much uh, for coming on, sharing your perspective. I know chat was dropping a lot of really, uh, really nice uh, words and, and uh, really appreciating the discussion today and the valuable knowledge that you've been dropping on us. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, Ryan, are you uh, you interested in some key takeaways, bud? A hundred percent. All right, let's roll on key takeaways. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. Ryan, that was an amazing show. Uh, I loved all the things that Paul uh, had to share with us. And, and hopefully everybody can see why he's a personal friend of mine, because uh, he's just a great person. Um, from that show, though, from that full hour of knowledge drop, what what were your key takeaways? Yeah, it's, I mean, top of the line, you can just see the integrity there, right? It's really, it's really phenomenal. And it's always, it's always different personalities that, that run different businesses. And you can see sort of the through line of integrity there. It's great. So for me, three things he said really kind of stood out, right? One is like identify the gaps. He's mentioned this early on, right? It's like when you jump into a business, you can see the gaps right away. And then when you see them, if they're important, right, in the business structure, like make sure somebody owns it, right? That doesn't, doesn't just go flailing to the side of like, oh, yeah, I see a gap, but we decided not to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, the other was own the problem. Right. It, yeah. He spent a lot of time and lovely, like talking through, like, you don't always have the right solution. Right. So it, I, my takeaway there is sort of like, make sure you know the problem you're trying to solve before you try to solve it. Cause you could be solving the wrong one. This gets to the failure discussion we were talking about. And I, I love that. I thought it was great because like, it's something we, we don't often have in our focus as we're just plowing forward, creating the business. And the last is, you know, the one we all need to be reminded of is like, pay attention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I kind of teased out from his piece. It's like, you know, know when things might be failing and own it and course correct if, if when you need to. Those are those are kind of my big takeaways. Great discussion. What about you? I love it. Yeah. So my key takeaways, I, I had one that really stuck with me and it's resonated because I do help the Simply Cyber community uh, in, in with, with different projects and initiatives. But one thing he said was as far as owning it goes. Uh, basically, he said, ask for forgiveness, not permission, uh, which is not a uh, that's not a hall pass to just go YOLO and start breaking stuff. But what it is to me, it boils down to being proactive, seeing a problem and trying to solve it, seeing a challenge and trying to take it on. And that is proactivity. And it, it really does serve uh, entrepreneurship. But I want to point out that to me, there is a heavy alignment with that and being successful in a cybersecurity career. I, I say it all the time, Ryan, like when I'm looking at a candidate or I'm interviewing someone and I'm talking to